You are listening to The Tish with Rabbi Michael Knopf, a Jcast Network podcast. For more information about Rabbi Michael Knopf, please visit MikeKnopf.com. For more information about other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. In, um, in, in thinking about the um, topic for tonight, when, when uh, Gary and I were, were talking about the Doled for the rest of the year and, and, and for next year, and we, we thought about this Tikkun Shavuot, we talked about a lot, of, you know, we've had a lot of conversation during the course of the year at Bethel about, um, um, about inclusion and pluralism and um, intermarriage and the role of uh, non-Jews in the community and um, and, uh, and and the nature of conversion in in our community, um, and these are ongoing conversations. They're not you know once and done. Um, and we thought that uh, Shavuot, given its um, uh, connection to Megillat Ruth, the the book of the scroll of Ruth, um, which we'll read a little bit from tomorrow, right, Chazan? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, that uh, and uh, we, we read that on Shavuot. Ruth is the uh, first, uh, considered to be in Jewish tradition, the first or paradigmatic um, convert to Judaism. Um, and so we thought that, uh, that, that, um, that that would be an interesting sort of platform to explore issues related to um, intermarriage, inclusion, pluralism, conversion, etc. Um, so I, I don't know exactly what uh, Rabbi Creditor and what Chazan Marion are planning to talk about, and, and my hope is that we can sort of have a conversation together. Um, but I thought that I would sort of uh, um, uh, get things started um, uh, as I was thinking about this more and more, as I was studying this more and more. Um, it it, it um, struck me that I, what I really wanted to explore with you guys um, was um, what's entailed and why um, it's entailed um, in conversion to Judaism. Um, and let me tell you a little bit of biography about how I come to the conversation. So when I was in rabbinical school, um, I uh, was uh, the coordinator. It was my rabbinic internship, but there was no director of the program at the time. So I uh, effectively served as the director of the Miller Introduction to Judaism program, um, which is billed as the nation's largest uh uh, preparatory program for concert, for conversion to Judaism converts several hundred uh, people a year um, to Judaism, uh, and the way the Miller program is structured is um, is primarily um, an eighteen week course uh, that uh, um, that provides people educational instruction, and then in order to convert to Judaism, in addition to having the course, you need a sponsoring rabbi uh, from within the uh, community, uh, you know, Miller sort of franchises out, so it's primarily in the LA area, but there are lots of participating synagogues of the Miller program, our synagogue participated in the Miller program this year. Um, so you need a sponsored rabbi, and there's a whole, when I took over the program, there's a whole like sort of checklist of things that you need to do in order to convert to Judaism, um, some of which were sensible to me and some of which weren't. So one of the things I did as a coordinator of the program was sort of take a look at those requirements. Um, and, uh, and, and, and see, uh, you know, and I, and I talked to a lot of, uh, rabbis and mentors at the time about the requirements that I inherited and, and whether or not they made sense. Um, but, you know, I, I, what, what I, what I ultimately ended up changing there was, was primarily like the language of, of requirement, but not totally the structure of the, of the system of, in order to convert to Judaism, you need to take uh, classes for about six months 
um, uh, which is how it worked out. Um, uh, getting a pretty substantial Jewish education classes were 18 weeks for three and a half hours a pop, right? So once a week for three and a half hours. So it was a, a pretty substantial amount of classroom time. And one of the things we added my years in doing there was Hebrew instruction too in, within the classroom time. So we did about a half an hour of Hebrew instruction um, per week and then and three hours of whatever it was we were talking about. It was a lot of classroom time, a lot of reading. Um, so the, the basic structure of the program didn't change and sort of um, partially this was sort of like rabbinical school zeal um, and partially it was my disposition at least at the time was uh, um, uh, much more I would say um, to the right of the conservative spectrum on a whole range of issues. Um, and, and, and part of it is sort of uh, um, not having a sense of uh, security in my own sort of rabbinic voice at the time. Um, I, I sort of saw myself primarily in, in the role that I had there as, um, as like a gatekeeper of Judaism. Right? And my job was to make sure that like none of the like wackos or crazies got in um, and, uh, and that... Uh, and that nobody who had like ulterior motives or wasn't converting, you know, with the purest of intentions, you know, got in. Um, and so, uh, and, and that was really in some ways how the program itself was set up, right? So you take this, you know, six months of classes, you, you do these requirements. The presumption is that those things weed out the people who aren't particularly serious, um, and who may have, you know, um, uh, ulterior motives. And then you get to the bait theme, which is, which in, in that context was, you know, very much kind of like a final exam. Um, uh, or if not the bait team being the final exam, then like the meeting with me where I signed off your paper before you could go to the bait team was like a final exam. And before I got there, there was like literally a final exam that, uh, that, that students had. Um, and, uh, and so that's basically what it was. It was, well, you know, I, I um, you know, sort of came to see myself as like the gatekeeper of Judaism, whatever... Um, uh, um, uh, pope Benedict had a great title before he was pope. It was like like the the pr- protector of the doctrine of the faith or something like that, which I which I thought was like a really cool title. And I was like, okay, well that's what I'm going to be. I'm going to be like as a right as a rabbi, I'm going to be the protector of the doctrine of the faith. Um, and um, that makes you a PDF. <laughs> um, <laughs> So fortunately, I, I, I think it was an editable PDF because um, nice. because what, what I you know what what I found in the course of my doing that and then and then and beyond my time there when I was a rabbi and, and meeting you know real people out in the field, um, what I um, discovered about conversion to Judaism was that there was um, even with a pretty you know um, structured system like the Miller program, um, there was. Um, among people who were looking to uh, convert or thinking about Judaism or interest in Judaism, there was a lot of um, misinformation, anxiety, um, stress, and pain surrounding conversion to Judaism. Um, so, you know, misinformation, um, everything from not knowing that conversion to Judaism is even a possibility that is out there, um, and a lot of people say, like, I've always admired Judaism, I never knew you could convert to Judaism, right? And, and so there's a lot of that. Um, 
to uh, to all sorts of misinformation about uh, conversion Judaism. And then there's the anxiety factor, right? So even though we have a fairly structured program, it still for a lot of people was a, a significant source of stress of like how long it's going to take me to convert um, and, you know, um, when am I going to know when I'm ready? And the answer to varying degrees is I'll let you know when you're ready, you know? Um, and, uh, and, and so that's very stressful, um, I think, or I experienced that for people to be very stressful. Um, and then there's, um, the educational piece, you know, so, um, so on a certain level, like, I understood why the 18 classes that we had were the 18 classes that we had, but, like, why 18 classes? And the real reason why 18 classes is because, well, you know, like, the reform program had 12 classes, but, like, we couldn't, you know, we, we like, and, but we wanted to, like, be, we wanted to be more Jewish than them, but we couldn't have, like, so many, we couldn't have so many more that, like, it, we couldn't be competitive, right? So it was... So we made it high. So, but it, I mean, but in some ways, it was a totally arbitrary uh, um, number of classes and amount of classroom instruction. Um, and the topics that we chose to cover were, I mean, you know, the ones that you would probably assume would be in an introduction to Judaism class. But in some way, they're kind of arbitrary. Like, why those classes? Like, why are those the introduction to Judaism and not, um, I don't know, the laws of tithes or, um, uh, or, or intro to Mishnah, right? Why is that not the introduction? So, um, the core of knowledge that we expected uh, converts to have um, uh, was somewhat mystifying and, and a little bit arbitrary. Um, the criteria for conversion was, you know, it wasn't the criteria for conversion, and in some ways I would respect it, is you are going to live a completely observant Jewish life um, and be fluent in Hebrew and everything Jewish. And until then, you can't convert to Judaism. Like, in some way, I would understand that, but that wasn't the, that wasn't the criteria. The criteria was you check off this list of Jewish experiences, you, like, you know, take these classes. And so, um, so in some ways, it was um, uh, fairly arbitrary. And I'm not knocking the program itself, because I think the Miller program is just indicative of conversion programs, by and large, that are out there. Throughout the Jewish world, Reform, Conservative, Orthodox, they're all kind of like this in one way or the other. Um, and, uh, um, uh, um, and, and the other piece of it that, that, that I struggled with a lot, it wasn't really brought up to me too much by converts, but it was something still that I struggled with, was um, uh, why is it that we expect people who decide to become Jews as adults to master a body of knowledge um, and pass a test um, when uh, we don't expect Jews by birth to do the same thing in order to uh, become or remain Jewish. Um, and so there seemed to me uh, to be a double standard. Judaism, for someone who's born Jewish, doesn't have to be cognitive, doesn't have to be intellectual, um, uh, doesn't have to be uh, fact-based, um, but for somebody who chooses to become Jewish, it all of a sudden becomes um, this, this checklist of things. So it... Um, uh, so it, uh, it, 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 so I, I was wrestling with some of these things. Then, as I uh, started my uh, job at Harzion in Philadelphia, I talked to my senior ally at the time about it because I had some people that, uh, that 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 came to me wanting to convert, and I asked him what his criteria was. And he's actually a fairly traditional guy, Rabbi uh, Jay Stein, um, uh, still a very dear friend and mentor of mine. And uh, and what he said to me was sort of like revelatory. It was like one of those moments, like I can do that. Right. Um, so it, it, what, what he said is, um, I never put myself in a position, or almost never put myself in a position, of deciding for a person when they're ready to convert. I let a person tell me 
I feel ready to convert. I feel um, uh, um, authentic in my in 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 affirming my uh, place in the Jewish people, and I'm ready to go to the mikvah. And for 99% of people who say that to me, um, uh, I honor their ability to make that decision for themselves. And, and and so like that was a that was sort of like an aha moment. It was like so that caused me to sort of open myself up and rethink what is it that um, is necessary and required in um, preparing somebody to convert to Judaism um, and uh, and in the act of conversion to Judaism. Okay, so that's what I wanted to explore and talk about a little bit with you tonight. Um, and I don't necessarily have all the answers. I just have some texts that uh, speak to me on on the subject. Okay. Um, so the first, because Ruth is what we read on Shavuot, and Ruth is uh, the you know sort of paradigmatic uh, convert in the Jewish tradition, um, and this is the scene in the book of Ruth uh, in the first chapter um, in which uh, uh, most people assume she's converting to Judaism. Um, uh, that uh, uh, that I wanted us to look at. Okay, so um, so just once for the for the language for the uh, for the for the poetry of it in Hebrew. Um, Vatishena Kolan, Vatikena Od, Vatishek Orpa, Lachamota, Verut, Dalkaba, Vatumar Hine Shava Yevintech, El Ema, Ama, Vel Eloheha, Shuvi Akarai, Yevintech, Vatomerut, Altif Evi, Rosvech, Vashuv Maharai, Ki El Asher Telfi Elech, Vashar Talini Alin, Amech Ami, the Elohaich Elohai. Vasher Tamuti Amut, the Sham Ekaver, Koyase Adonaili, the Koyosif, Ki Hamavet Yafri, Veni Uvenech. Vatera Ki Mit Ametati, Lalechet Ita, Vatechdal Lidaber Eleha. They broke into weeping again, so this is after, so the, the background of the story, for those of you who don't know, is that, um, um, uh, Ruth and uh, Orpah are uh, Moabite women uh, who are married uh, to uh, uh, Israelite brothers uh, and uh, the brothers are children of a woman named Naomi um, and, uh, and after the brothers both die um, uh, uh, Orpah um, is uh, um, uh, uh, Orpah, you can see in the text, decides to go back to her native land, um, and Ruth decides to stay with her mother-in-law Naomi and go back to the land of Israel. There's a whole um, uh, subtext um, behind this about, uh, first of all, inclusion in general of, of uh, non-Jewish spouses. Throughout the book, even after this scene, Ruth is still called uh, Ruth HaMoabiyah, Ruth the Moabite. Um, so, which is interesting, considering the rabbis all read this, and we'll see a little bit later. The rabbis all read this as a conversion text, even though the text itself keeps on um, calling her Ruta Moabiyah. Um, and the um, uh, the Torah uh, talks about how Moabites are not supposed to be included within the Jewish community. So, all the more so of uh, this being a conversion text is very um, interesting that uh, um, Ruth continues to be called the Moabite, but Moabites. Um, the rabbis see her as the paradigmatic convert, but she's not really supposed to be allowed to anyway. She's not supposed to be married to a Jew, she's not supposed to anything. Right? But anyway, so um, they broke into weeping again in Orpah. Oh, another just uh, side note that some of you probably know. Um, Oprah Winfrey 
um, uh, gets her name from this story, but uh, legend has it that her mother misread Orpah's name, um, and uh, and so the, then Oprah was born. Oprah is much better sounding than Orpah. Anyway. I was going to say Orpah would um, yeah. be right. yeah. Um, what would have happened? An alternate history. Um, so uh, Orpah kissed her mother-in-law farewell, but Ruth clung to her. So she said, See, your sister-in-law has returned to her people and her gods. Go follow your sister-in-law. But Ruth replied, Do not urge me to leave you, to turn back and not follow you. For wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people will be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. Thus and more may the Lord do to me, if anything but death parts me from you. When Naomi saw how determined she was to go with her, she ceased to argue with her. Okay, so if that is a, um, a as the rabbis take it, and, and we'll see a little bit later, they go, um, they, they sort of expand on it um, in, in ways that may not be authentic to the text. But just from this text itself, what would you say are the requirements for conversion and the ritual of conversion? What do you have to do to convert to Judaism according to this text? Accept the Jewish God. Accept, accept the Jewish God, right? So Ruth says, your God is my God, right? Okay, so there's a theological acceptance. And your people. Uh, okay, so it's not just God, but um, a, a, a sense of affinity with connection to, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, uh, linking your destiny to the Jewish people. Okay, so there's a theological component and there's a social component or political component. Gary? Yeah, I mean, tying your experience to, you know, that of the Jewish people. I mean, you know, where you go, I will go. Where you die, I, as you die, I will die. I mean, that is, I, my experience will be linked directly to your experience. Leaving behind past identity. Yeah. Uh, leaving behind past identity, right? So in other words, you're taking on a new self. You're leaving behind the old self. Um, well, in some ways, you're leaving behind the old self, right? She's still Ruth, and yeah. the text is on the fire. But your yeah. identity is an I identify as this. I was this. Right. I am now something else going forward. Right, right. Uh, along the same lines, I, I don't know if I can express this right, but there's a sense of void. There's something that needs to be fulfilled. There's something missing in her life that she wants something to fill it. Okay, alright. So, and, and is there content to that something? That spiritual thing, or something. She's missing something. Obviously, her husband's gone. But well, she's yeah, I mean, she's missing her husband. But yeah. besides that, she's missing. She, she wants something. Something is empty in her, and she she wants to be fulfilled or filled. Or so. I don't know if that's what it works. Orpah was missing her husband too, but she made a different choice of how to adapt right. to it. So. Yeah, but she had to be something beyond that that was missing. Right, but something intangible that's missing. Well, so I mean, but that's I mean, that's the so um, that's an interesting thing, right? It's not only because it's not only like the feeling of linking your destiny to the Jewish people. There's a physical linking your destiny, right? She goes with Naomi, um, and, and and I think that there's that's that's what the other piece that GD is mentioning is is worth sort of acknowledging here that there's a a sense of internal sort of spiritual emotional fulfillment in in the act right so it's um it's it, it, so we have theological we have social political or cultural i don't know how you ever you want to phrase it and you have emotional right so there's an emotional uh connection right that's required yeah 
there's this idea, I mean, I've, I've seen this, the contrast between the story of the Odyssey and the story of Abraham, mm. right? Mm. The Odyssey is about Homer going out but coming home, mm. right? The idea of going out and then coming home, having his adventure but returning home. For Abraham, it's left lecha. You're going out, you're leaving behind all you know, all you grew up with, and you're going to go find something different. But he's heading toward his home. Well, not, not he what doesn't he know what he's Yeah, but, I mean, but, that, but that's the definition of home. Right? I need to get where I'm going, not go back where I'm well, going. Well, y- yes and no, Carla, because the, the text in Genesis, Lechacha mi'artzecha mi'moladetecha mi'bet avicha, right? So, so he, d- I mean, Ella Arta Shareka, right? So go where I'm going to show you, but leave behind your home, right? So he, yeah. in, in a spiritual sense, we know he's going yeah. home, but in Abraham's experience, I'm not so sure he knew that. But I, I think maybe he knew he wasn't coming back to that that he had called home. He did try to take it with him for a while. Right. Um, and realized that that didn't work for whatever reason. I mean, people died and so forth, and he had to move on without them. But Yeah, although, so, he, although Sarah, was, stay, Sarah stayed with him, and Sarah yeah, was from home. And, right. and you know, he, you know it, it, just, it, it became this process of soon all of it was behind, and it was just him and Sarah and... Even Hagar was gone. Right. So the, that that brings me to a question about this: Does how how uh, uh, complete does the severance need to be from your previous group people? Um, faith seems clear, but um, is is Ruth's um, decision to not go back to Moab to move with Naomi and go to the land of Israel? Um, how indicative should we take that of the act of conversion? In other words, like, how complete does the separation need to be from your previous people? I mean, and I guess the, one of the reasons I ask this question is I have I have people ask me all the time, you know, like, like, you know, my mother still celebrates Christmas, and, you know, it'll just, like, break her heart if, um, if even after I'm Jewish... I don't, you know, like, go for the, you know, traditional family Christmas tree lighting, right? So, um, can that person not convert to Judaism? Is that a not complete enough separation? I think going to something versus hosting it in your home where you're practicing the faith, I think, let's come back to the theological component. Are you going for family to be there for your mother's practice of her faith? Or are doing it as your faith. And if they're doing it as their faith, then I think there's a clear line that that person's not ready. So or they're so not you're going there, you're not on your knees praying in another faith. You're going for a Christmas dinner and exchange gifts. And it's, you know, it's not like you have to give yourself back. I did part of this We're doing it to make today. somebody else happy. I think the act of converting and accepting mitzvah kind of has a built-in separation. I know there's a lot of things David and I don't do with friends, non-Jewish friends, like if they want to go to a movie or out to dinner on Friday night, we pass on that. Um, There's lots of restaurants we don't eat in anymore that we used to love. Such as the Red Lobster, I used to love the Red Lobster. I used to love the Do you wear the bib? Do you wear the bib? Yeah. So, you know, they want us to go 
go to Phil's barbecue with them. Well, I'm sorry, I can't eat there. So there's a built-in separation, and I've noticed over the years, there's friends who kind of drifted away from because we just don't do a lot of things that we used to do together. And sometimes it's more drastic. I had one friend in Maryland, because I came through 10 years in the Messianic movement before Judaism, and I had a dear friend and mentor. As long as I was attending Bethel, there was conversation and communication. The moment I announced that I had converted, all communication stopped. And for him, this was the kindest thing he could do. Rather than say something hurtful, he simply stopped talking to me and has never talked to me since. Um, and it was it was painful. I respected that he wasn't saying anything hurtful, but it was still painful to lose somebody that I had turned to in difficulties, family difficulties and so forth. This was somebody that I turned to for advice, and now he wasn't talking to me ever again. And because of the specific decision to convert. Actually, there's a bigger problem than that, but I'm not going to do that right now. Okay. But for him, it wasn't that he didn't consider me a Jew. It was that he considered conversion leaving behind Yeshua. Yeah. And it, the only things he could say would be hurtful, judgmental, and he would rather not judge, <clears throat> let me be that maybe between me and God. And his answer was to be silent, which I think was a wise decision in many ways, but it was still hurtful to lose that communication and to lose that dear friendship. So I think going back to what Gigi said before about, you know, feeling uh, a loss or, you know, having some kind of um, void to fill, I wonder if um, Ruth wasn't choosing Naomi as her family. You know what I mean? And I think that's one way to look at it, right? right? That if you, you know, who do you consider your family? You know, just as we go through life, it's not always our family of birth that we consider our family. And so, especially I think for someone going through a conversion to Judaism, you know, we talked about this text, you know, talking about uh, Ruth um, identifying with the people of Israel. And I think very specifically in this context, it seems to me that she was saying, you're my family, and I'm not leaving my family, right? right? right. And so, and I think in that context, your question, you know, do you, how how much of a severance do you have to have with your old identity? I think it's that question of yeah. your relationship to your family, you know? That, so that, and that's so interesting because, um, and I think that this is something that's different in modern conversion to Judaism than modern conversion to... Uh, you know, uh, uh, especially the Christian world, because you tend to convert in the Christian world within the context of a particular church, right? You you like become affiliated with that church, and that's how you become Christian. Some maybe you might go to another church eventually, but um, you might get rebaptized. Um, but uh, in 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 Judaism, we at least tell converts that you're not converting to Bethel; you're converting to. Judaism. But here, I mean, it's actually much more intimate than that, it seems like, right? She's becoming part of Naomi, or remaining part of Naomi's family, right? The 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 peoplehood is in the context of Naomi, right? Like, yeah, whoever you like, I'm going to like them too, and I'll feel associated with that's fine, but I, I really, what, what I'm linking myself with is you, personally. It's the relationship. 
sort of ties into the mentoring idea that we talked about. Yeah, yeah, and absolutely. And there's no statement of belief. Well, she like, says, your God, God will be my God, God right. God, but, there's, but there's no explicit right. statement that I, I will, will believe in your God, God. right. That, that yeah. you make it right. Well, okay, so here's, so here's the, here's, Sheila points out a really good point, right? She doesn't know enough yet. So here's what I wanted to ask, like, what, so what, what seems to be missing from this conversion experience? 18 weeks of classes? 18 weeks of classes, <laughs> mikvah, right? There's no mikvah, there's no classes, there's no, right? What does, Naomi, what does Ruth know about Judaism other than the God is different than her God? She's probably well, one. But obviously the people are different than her people because she's grown up in Moab. She's but married to an Israelite. Yeah, but he was like, but he was an assimilated Israelite. He married a Moabite. You know? No, I know. I know. She has a relationship with Naomi, who is a member of that group. And, and so Naomi is, for her personally, the instantiation of a Jew. Right? She is who, what a Jew is. And so that is what she clings to, is that relationship with her mother. And that, that relationship for her is powerful enough to draw her in. Well, we don't know what her relationship was with her mother and Moab. Right, that's what right. yeah, we do. Yeah. So she may have felt this love and this comfort and devotion with Naomi that she never had before and she, this is what she wants. Right, that's true, and, 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 and my, my knowledge of the text is a little bit spotty, but I don't remember the text really getting into her biography no, at all. No, yeah. no, no, no. Yeah. Yeah. Right. But her sister goes back. Yeah. For something. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know whether this throws a wrench into everything, but uh, one of the things that's always troubled me about this is that we take a Jewish view about how she looks, about how she's coming to us, and why she doesn't go back to her people. And for all we know, her people have ostracized her for marrying a Jewish guy. Right? Maybe. Right. And yeah, she, yeah. she's not welcome back. Maybe. She doesn't really have an option. Except that went back. Right, or, right, so presumably... The orphan, maybe her parents would be more accepting or something. Yeah, right. Who knows, right. Um, it, it seems, at least from the text perspective, and you're right, this is a particular perspective, from the text perspective, she makes the braver choice by going with Naomi than going back to Moab, which implies that she could have easily gone back to Moab just like Orpah does. But you could be right. You, together yeah. with her, which was really easy. Let's go back to the original statement. What, what about that makes her more makes this a conversion? I, I think it's her her public statement, her, her saying these things, well, well, yeah, but hold on, how public is the statement? Well, right, I know, it is, yeah. it is just, Naomi, but it's still said out loud. With actions, too. Yeah. Well, the actions are she goes she with goes Naomi. There. There's right. no indication that yeah. the Jewish people at the other end are going to be any more accepting than anybody else. Right. That, and you know, she may get there and be ostracized there, too, yeah. you know. And, and <laughs> well, she, you know, she doesn't know that. Yeah. Well, right. But I, I, I actually don't want the, the, um, the, I would say, non-public nature of this conversion to be lost. Because another thing that's missing, we mentioned that education is missing from this. We mentioned that mikvah is missing from this. And it shouldn't be lost that there's no beginning. There's no, there's no rabbinic court, which presumably is meant to make the ceremony public, or at least um, uh, um, regulated, right? Okay, official. Okay, let's let's go on to. Um, clearly, they weren't. Clearly, they weren't. Right. This is just like the beginning when she makes a statement. Those other things, you know, that were available at the time, may have happened 
Later. Maybe, although you'd yeah. think that, that A, the text would talk about them if they existed, or B, the rabbis who take that as a, as the symbol that it's the uh, paradigmatic conversion narrative would say, oh, and by the way, she went to mikvah after this. She went to the 18-week seminar after she said that to Naomi. They don't say that. But they do say something else. We'll get, hopefully we'll get there. Okay? So, um, the, um, the, okay, uh, Rab, uh, Babylonian Talmud tractate Yavamot. Okay? So this is, um, um, you know, many centuries after the uh, after the Book of Ruth was written, um, this is the next most significant text about conversion um, that that we have. Okay, um, so I'll just do. I'll, you know, in the interest of time, let me just read it as uh, um, in in a sort of quick fashion. Um, our rabbis taught. Okay, and so when a text in the Talmud is introduced by our rabbis taught, the, the Hebrew of that is to know Rabbanan, um, which means that it is a brita. Um, a, a text that was most likely written around the time of the Mishnah, so probably in the first or second century CE. Okay, and most scholars um, uh, have no reason to doubt that this text is authentic to that time and place. Okay, so it's it's a, it's a pretty old text. Um, a potential convert. Uh, actually, the Hebrew of it is uh, um, uh, um, uh, ger sheba, right? Um, you know, so a, a convert, but it's, it means a potential convert who approaches to be converted. They say to him, uh, "Why have you decided to approach us to be converted? Do you not know that Israelites at this time are pained, oppressed, harassed, and torn, and that afflictions come upon them? If he says, I know, and am unworthy, they accept him immediately.'" And they make known to him a few of the light commandments and a few of the severe commandments. And they make known to him the sin of the violation of the laws of gleanings, the forgotten sheaf, the corner of the field, and the poor tithe. And they make known to him the punishment for violation of the commandments. They say to him, make sure you realize that before you arrived at this measure, if you had eaten forbidden fat, you would not have been liable to punishment by karate, which means excision, spiritual excision from the community. Um, if you had profaned the Sabbath, you would not have been liable to punishment by stoning. But now, were you to eat forbidden fat, you would be liable to punishment by karate. Were you to profane the Sabbath, you would be liable to punishment by stoning. And just as they make known to him the punishment for violation of the commandments, they make known to him their reward for their fulfillment. They say to him, Make sure you realize that the world to come was made only for the righteous, and that Israelites at this time are not able to receive either the larger part of the good that is due them, or the larger part of the chastisement that is due them. But they do not speak too much to him, nor are they too detailed with him. If he accepts, they circumcise him immediately. When he is healed, they immerse him immediately, and two disciples of the sages stand over him, and make known to him a few of the light commandments and a few of the severe commandments. When he is immersed and risen from the water, behold, he is like an Israelite in all respects. In the case of a woman, women make her sit in water up to her neck, and two disciples of the stages stand near her outside the place of immersion and make known to her a few of the light commandments and a few of the severe commandments. Okay, so that's the Talmud's perspective. So, um, what new information or what changes to the process of conversion do we have now from Ruth? So what's different about this conversion uh, ritual or process from Ruth? Specific acceptance of certain commandments. Yeah. Is um, it acceptance of commandments or just knowledge of them? Well, no. I, I would think it says 
that if they understand the punishment of, that, that there is an expectation in this text that they are taking on these commandments and they will be punished if they don't do them by God, not that they're all stoning for Shabbat violation, but that they understand that they are just as accountable as born Jews. Um, so y- yes. The, Sorry, let me cut you off. The act of continuing the process would be acceptance of that understanding. Yes, I, I grant you at least part of that. Except for there's one uh, uh, thing that seems to me to be a glaring omission from this text. What is missing from this text? God. God. Right? In this text, at least, there is no statement that they need to accept uh, the God of the Jewish people. And if they don't need to accept the God of the Jewish people, then I could say, yeah, sure, whatever, you know, I'll eat forbidden fat and I'll get kari for it, but I don't necessarily believe that there's a God who's going to give me kari for it. So the acceptance of the commandments, if there's no God required in this ceremony, um, seems a little bit more academic. Or could we say that God acceptance was part of kari? Maybe, maybe, maybe. Possibly. What's that? It's very legalistic. It's well, yeah, it's the Talmud. The yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, certainly talking about immediately. Right, yeah. Accepting circumstances of God. So there's certainly, there's certainly, right, we only have, in, in the Ruth story, we only have the, the, the conversion of a woman who doesn't get circumcised, obviously. So there's obviously something more um, uh, severe about being, uh, about converting as a, as a male that requires circumcision. And there's also the statement that, you know, by the way, you know, of course, that we're, you know, an oppressed people right now, you know, and that when you come in with us, you're going to have to, you know, be willing to accept that oppression along with the rest of us. It's not not fun being an Israelite at this point in time in in history. Um, So there's there's an attempt to discourage in that sense. Right, so I was going to ask you, do you read that as as discouragement? Um... You know, or, and, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I read it as um, just you know a reality. Right. In other words, right, right. Are you are you are you with it? Right. Are you are you aware? Right. Do you, right. Do you get it? Are you, are you, are you, are you, are you sure? Right. something somebody said to me um, when I was in the process of conversion. They said, you're already disabled. You're already on the fringes of society. Why would you want to do this? And it was from somebody who was Jewish, who had been picked on in school and such. And they said, you know, I'm not trying to tell you don't, but why would you want to? You're already in a class that gets teased and picked on and you know. It's like a double negative in yeah. grammar, right? You, yeah, you, know, like, you, know, you add gonna, that one on, you're, you're, you're like, oh, in the in the positive column. Now you're going to get it from both ends, you know. Um, but you know, so what, what I find striking about this text um, is, I mean, first of all, it doesn't ask the convert to accept the commandments; it just asks the convert to 
you could say agree yeah. to, but acknowledge. Or be aware of. Uh, be aware of a few commandments, yeah. right? It doesn't say accept the whole Torah. It doesn't say will you live as an observant Jew. It just says like the Judaism has commandments. Here's a handful of of strict ones. Here's a handful of lenient ones. Here's the punishment. Here's the rewards. Um, and oh, and by the way, uh, we live in a time where God isn't really doling out punishment and reward anyway. So you may not really. Um, um, Feel the effects of this immediately. So if you like, don't call us liars when you don't get struck down by a lightning bolt when you uh, eat forbidden fat, right? But it, there, there's not a statement saying, you know, we have 613 commandments. Do you agree to all of them? You, you must totally turn over your kitchen and keep full kosher. Right. Passover dishes and everything. Right. Right. Give right. them a range. It's like here are the easy ones. Here are the really hard ones. Right. And so go and learn some more. You know, like it's like. Right, but the go and learn some more is a, first of all, I mean, there, you know, we're all, I think, familiar with the, one of the more famous stories in the Talmud, also relating to conversion, um, about the, the convert who goes to Hillel and the convert who goes to, the same convert goes to Shammai and says, you know, teach me the whole Torah on one foot, and Shammai turns them away, and Hillel says, um, that which is hateful to you, don't do to others, uh, the rest is commentary, go and learn, right? Um, and, uh, and, 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 what, what seems to be implied by that statement is that in Hillel's perspective, um, all a person needs to know in order to convert to Judaism is that foundational principle, and after that, the person can become Jewish, learning will come later, right? And so there's, yeah. yeah I mean, this, and actually when you read this, I mean, all, all, that, all he has to actually say is, yes, I know this, and I am unworthy, mm-hmm. right? And then, they, and then, then you accept him immediately. You go on to teach him some things, right. but you've already made your decision. Right, it's, it, is what it seems like. Right, and there's a, and so and, and and you know what what seems to be striking about that decision, the, the decision, right, the the entrance examination is that it's not uh, particularly content laden, right? It's it's emotional, right? Like, do you know it sucks to be a Jew? Are you sure you want to do it? Yes, I am. Right? I, I, I don't even feel worthy to be part of a despised people. Right? Then that's the deciding factor. Convert them immediately. Right? As they're converting, you can tell them some of the commandments. They're already in the mikvah, right? When they get told the commandments. Um, which is pretty amazing. So, by the way, I mean, like, you know, talk about, you know, like a six-month class. I know people, rabbis, who say, like, um, and, and uh, I was probably this rabbi. You, know, you have to, uh, it's got to be at least a year of study or a year and a half, two years. I know rabbis who, who go on and on. In this text, at least, like, this seems to me, uh, for, for, for uh, it depends on how long it takes to heal from circumcision. Let's say it's a female, so it's an easier case. Like this is a this is a two day process at most, right? This is she the person comes to you says I want to convert. Great, let's schedule you for the mikvah. You get in the mikvah. Let me tell you about some of the commandments. Are you still sure? Yeah. Okay, immerse. Right. Um, it's a pretty radical departure from the current system, I think, of, of conversion. Now, it's different than, especially in the Orthodox world. Now, it's different than Ruth's, right? In some ways, Ruth's um, statement is even uh, more significant in some ways than the what happens in the Talmud. There's all sorts of ways in which, by the way, we could unpack what happens in the Talmud. They, they use... Um, very specific examples of the things that you're supposed to teach the converts. And there's all sorts of uh, um, explanations as to why they choose the things that they do. But if you you know think about it um, in, in reality, they, they talk about kashrut, 
and they talk about uh, Shabbat, and they talk about um, uh, rules pertaining essentially to tzedakah and social justice. Um, so I think that that's actually really profound um, in terms of the curriculum for conversion. But it's also a very short curriculum for conversion. Um, I think, I mean, one thing I've noticed, it seems like that it's a lot of this idea, whether it's conversion or at bar mitzvah. You know, that in the past, even the fairly recent past, Jewish learning was expected and continued through life, and it's only in our modern era that that seems to have stopped. In both of these cases, the people are going to leave the world they're in. They have to give up the world they're in. Ruth has no, uh, Ruth has no choice. Uh, she must, she's going to say, well, Naomi, I think this is what always seems that Sherlock would say, that uh, you see, but it is. But nonetheless, she has to leave Moab to come to, to the land of Israel. She must leave everything behind. And similarly, in, in this piece, in this bride, in the case of Babylonian bride, they're still going to leave the, 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 the pagan Babylonian world uh, in, order to, uh, be in, the, in the Jewish world of Babylonia. The Hao Hakam of Hakam, this is the bride in the land of Israel, where you're in the Roman world. Right. I think the scholars say it's probably an uh, empty show. The, the grant is, yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. They have to leave their world to enter our world. How they establish the membrane between one to the other? They have to come through the wormhole. I love that. They have to on one side of the wormhole to get out the other side. Yeah. However they're going through it, it doesn't matter. And there's differences in the development of the, of the process. Right? But the people we deal with today don't do that. That's the big difference. There's not one that I've had, had over my, my life that didn't ask me the question somehow pertaining to right. their family. Right. Right. Now, like, what, what about, you know, usually it's one person's the right. mm-hmm. you know, um, and so they all have to negotiate right. that space between this identity <coughs> and what, however their identity was before that. Not for group. She doesn't have to negotiate any of it. Right. And not for the, the anonymous quality, you know, in this, in this fact, which the question also is, is how much can we deduce from only one right time? In terms of what rules the reality of the process in the Babylonian Talmudic Talmudic era, we know later on it's going to get worse. Right. Talmud, Talmud, Kuzin. You know, by the way, there was an article in this week's Jewish Week in New York on a 30-week program because they wanted to make it um, even more learning mm-hmm. than. Um, and, and so you're saying that the that the goal, the impact of uh, of, of of those processes is to. Uh, make it more likely that the potential convert uh, severs ties with their previous identity? Not today. I mean, today, they, you don't leave your family. Today. Right. You know, so it doesn't matter whether you learn for two years, ten years, or six months, you're not going to leave your family. You have a reality. No, right. I mean, look, you know, some people have, have family problems, and so they're in the back of leaving behind. Right, but right. They're most of the time, they're on the run. Well, they have their, they have their, it depends on their age. But, you know, most of the people come to us, you know, are younger. <laughs> not, not always. I mean, we have, we have you know, um, older people who work with us as well, but often it's the younger people. They certainly have their parents, and they have their aunts and uncles. They have their nieces and nephews. They're not leaving them any place. So they, 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 they keep their family ties, but they have to negotiate is how do they interact with new Jewish identity, whatever we've taught them or whatever they've gotten in any other way. 
with their family that probably exists. Right. That's a negotiation, and I have not one person that I've sat with that we did not discuss how are they going to do that. I mean, I remember one person who got very ferocious at their parents, her parents because they gave Christmas gifts and not Hanukkah gifts. Right. And I almost wanted to sever ties. I said, are you crazy? What does it mean? Right. They're talking Christmas, they're talking love. All they want to say is, right. I love you. Right. Right. All right? So just take the love and get back the love. If you want to give your parents a Christmas gift, you didn't violate anything. You're not doing theology, you're just giving your parents a gift saying, I love you. Right. Right? But everybody has to negotiate that. We don't have any of that information with them. We have none of this information here. Right. So we, but I think we can guess that both of them have to sever their past to get into their present and future. That's right. not the world of today. Right. And, and, and there's, 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 a, there's a, a related piece to this, right, um, which is that, um, you know, I, I don't know so much in the time of Ruth, but certainly in the, in the context of uh, the, the Brita here from Yavamot, um, you know, and this is probably why the statement of this Beidin, whoever the we is that this convert comes to, um, ask all these questions about persecution. Um, most of the scholars who look at the text assume that um, it's written in a context where um, it was illegal to convert people to Judaism and Jews were being persecuted. Right. So um, uh, that's at least in, the, in thank God, 21st century America, um, not only not the case, but almost the opposite of the case, where where Jews are um, are are widely uh, reported to be the most admired uh, minority group in America, and there are people who you know call me off the street all the time to, and I'm sure it happens to you that, that want to convert to Judaism. It's like like it, it probably I'm sure it happened. They wouldn't have written a text about it in, in, if it didn't happen in first century uh, Israel, but. Um, but like the, the the extent to which it happens here is totally different. So the uh, I, I I wonder if that because there, there there are versions of this text that say a convert who approaches us in our time to be converted, right? Um, and then, but I didn't include that because uh, not every text has it, and uh, the scholarship that I read said that that was probably um, either a scribal error or um, or um, a, an editorial insertion. Um, but uh, but I wonder, should that make conversion in our time more challenging or less challenging? Um, should it be a higher barrier or a lower barrier? I'm not so, I'm not sure the answer to that. Right uh, here, it seems like the barrier, you know, the the initial barrier of like, are you sure you really want to do this? Like, you could get killed for this. Um, that was a high enough barrier, and anything after that is gravy, right? And we don't have that barrier, so maybe the barriers after that should be higher, I don't know. Um, you could make an, another argument, right? They can't yeah. go, in these two cases, they can't go back. Right, right. They can't go back. The reality of our conversion is there's going to be a percentage of people who do go back. Yeah. Or in, into that, the few reports of nothing. Right. No identification. So I guess, so I guess the question I have is, is um, A, um, to what extent should our conversion standards be based on the fear of people going back? And B, how can you even prevent that if you wanted to? Right? And so I, I remember reading a book from the Orthodox world that, uh, that, that said, um, you know, uh, someone in Yeshiva University was, was telling their students, like, don't do a conversion unless you'd be willing to bet a year's salary on the fact that that person 10 years down the road would still be an observant Jew. Right? And like if that's the standard for conversion, you know that's you know that right. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. 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 Right.
but there's already been some influx going on, is you've got Messianic Jews and Messianic non-Jews and others coming in and actually credentialing at Beth Allen leaving. And I've, there's already been one couple that has left. I didn't know. They started talking theology with me, and I said, that sounds more like Messianic Judaism than, than Judaism. Right. And they disappeared completely. Right. Stopped responding to my emails. There's been other things. There was a Messianic Evangelist couple in the service last week. Right. And I knew them. They came up to me. I knew them from the past. And they said, oh, we've left Tikvot. I said, oh, what are you doing now? We run a nonprofit called Hope for Israel. And, um, <laughs> you know, uh, yeah. They could have been a little more creative with their name. No, he was very straight yeah. up. But he's, you know, they, what they'll do is they'll come in and make friends in the crowd. They'll join classes. And they won't evangelize on site. What they do is wait till after and they start <coughs> inviting people to Shabbat dinner. The best article so far, and it centers here on Richmond, even though it's, it's in the Baltimore Jewish Times, is one called Fusion of Faiths. And Shoshana Shafin talks about what happened at Hillel. And that it wasn't the Messianics coming to Hillel that was the problem. It was that when they come, they start inviting people to Shabbat dinner and things. <coughs> and that that's where they will do conversion. And I will say this here. I've never said this publicly, but it needs to be said. Um, and I have proof of it now. Former canner at Beth Ahava, Ricky Izzaker Benjamin, is now teaching cantorial arts from Messianic Jewish Theological Institute. And um, it doesn't... That's <coughs> a agency trained cantor. If they can convert... Think about our kids with the limited Jewish knowledge they've had and our young adults yeah. and so forth. It's a serious issue. And, you know, it's not something to take lightly when you're, I'm going to say screening, even though that sounds harsh, but it's late. Yeah. Screening candidates, you need to make sure they're not there. I don't think we want to be on witch hunts, and I don't think we want to be running people through the mill, yeah. but there are people who will look for that conversion to be able to have access to the Jewish world, even if they leave Richmond yeah. and go to another city, yeah. and you don't want your name on the paperwork. Mm -hmm. um, okay, so I want to, uh, because we're uh, um, uh, running behind, um, I'm going to skip the next text, which is uh, Rashi on uh, the text from the Book of Ruth, which basically blends the Talmud text with the text from Ruth. Um, uh, what I, and what I think that Rashi does there, in addition to sort of like like showing how Ruth was basically doing the Talmud's version of the conversion ceremony, which is very interesting. Um, I, I also think that Rashi um, uh, uh, um, adds a uh, more stringent dimension to conversion um, than than either the Talmud or Ruth has. Um, but I'll let you read that at your own leisure. Um, I wanted to just show you Shia Cohen, um, who wrote a great book, if you've never read it or seen it, called The Beginnings of Jewishness. Um, it's a great uh, great book on different aspects of, uh, of how we got the Jewish boundaries that we currently have, things like patrilineal, matrilineal descent, intermarriage, uh, conversion, etc. Um, so, uh, so he talks about this text, and what he says is, the rabbinic conversion ceremony of, Bab of Babylonian Talmud, Yavama 47a to b, is not, or at least is not primarily, an initiation ritual. It's not concerned with the spiritual state of the convert, his inner being, or the state of his soul. In this ceremony, by which a Gentile converts to Judaism, there is no mention of God or of the eternality of the Torah. There is no denial of paganism or the pagan gods, no repentance for the sins of a life lived under the sway of foreign deities, no abjuration of evil, no language of rebirth and renewal. There's no review of the sacred history of the holy people, nor is there any prayer. Even the theological underpinnings of the commandments are ignored. 
Our text contains no allusion to Sinai or revelation or covenant. The ceremony is devoid of anything mystical, demo, de, uh, demonological, or spiritual. The, co- the convert, that should be convert, the convert says a total of, I don't know what a convert is, a co- the convert says a total of four words. In this ritual, by which a Gentile becomes a member of the Jewish people, the Jewish community is conspicuously absent. Um, it's again not fully public. It's got witnesses, but it's not fully public. If it is not initiation ritual, what is it? I have argued that the ceremony, apparently the product of the second century CE, was a vehicle by which the rabbis attempted to regulate and formalize what until then had been an entirely personal and chaotic process. In other words, people before then were saying, you know, like, I want to be Jewish, I'm Jewish. Right? Or, I want to be Jewish, like, I'm going to go dip in the mikvah and I'll be Jewish, right? If that, if they thought that. Or they went to the river and were baptized like Jesus. I've met people today right. that have declared themselves Jewish. And right. Um, so, this formalizes it and that has to be supervised, it has to be witnessed. Um, there has to be some kind of barrier to entry, right? Um, but, um, uh, um, uh, the rabbis intended to ensure that the ceremony was witnessed, that the convert received at least some modicum of instruction in the Jewish way. But again, it's really some modicum. Like they, they talk about like like three commandments here, um, and that the rituals of circumcision and immersion were performed with a proper intent. Intent is key, right? Um, which is which is I think a fair thing to 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 to. I don't know. Screening is the word I would use, but but intent. But intent is something to yeah. to discern, right? But it's it's intent and not knowledge. Now you could say that you discern intent through commitment, and commitment is. You, like, if they stick around for a year to study before they convert, then they have, but I'm not so sure that that's the, not right, enough. right, it's not necessary, it's not, this, maybe it's not enough, maybe it's too much, um, yeah. because I, because there could be people with the, with, with what we would consider, um, the wrong intent, who are perfectly willing to learn for a year oh, and, drink, right, or two years, three years, whatever, right. Circumcision is committed. Yeah. So that's true. Circumcision <laughs> is probably true. That's true. Um, one's going to argue that one. The ceremony did not erect substantial barriers before the would-be convert. Its dissuasion was more ostensible than real, and its demands were relatively modest. Um, now, Robert Creditor raises some really good points um, about, uh, about you know, um, uh, why the demand may have been relatively modest, right? Because the demand inherently in the process was very high. Um, uh, um, so I guess the question is, how relevant is that text for our time? Does it make it less relevant or more relevant? I, I, and I'm not sure the right answer. I think, I think if you see it on a continuum of the development of a process of conversion as times change, there's a great book called the Collaboration with Tyranny and Rabbinic Law, mm-hmm. where this subject comes mm-hmm. up, where the Jewish community was liable for destruction if they converted. Mm-hmm. So, so the issue really is, therefore, both the price of the community and the price of the person. Right. So, I mean, you want to talk about conversion, circumcision being a commitment, death of community, you know, uh, and also obviously commitment on both sides of the equation. But that's part of a, of a history of the process of conversion. Right. And we see it in that context that the step up from Ruth is just between she and, and Naomi. And on the other hand, you have more content, but it's not our time yet. Right. Although you, but I, I guess one could also make the argument that um, in you know in, in our time, in the time of the Pew study and things like that, um, that we face different, uh, but no less mortal dangers as Jews. 
um, and in, a, in, in an era when lots of people want to become Jewish, um, and when converts bring such strength and vitality to communities, um, evidenced in this room, um, that, uh, that, that, that maybe being, uh, more, um, uh, proactive and, um, uh, um, uh, and open toward, uh, toward potential converts make it easy and accessible to convert, um, uh, uh, could also have the same effect, right? In other words, back then, you know, you have these high barriers, uh, in the high barrier of like making sure, like, like we don't want to be killed and we don't want you to get killed for converting, right? And now maybe, maybe, um, the lower barrier of, um, you know, we're not going to make you go through a, 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 a you know, an, an 18 week, 18 month, whatever, two year process in order to convert because, um, you, affirm that you want to be part of the Jewish people and um, you're willing to leave behind any previous religious practices, um, we as the Jewish community need people like you who are willing to make that choice. Well, right. In an assimilated environment, our membrane is leaky. We're, we're, you know, we have our own people defecting, basically. I mean, so, you know, and, and not identifying and actually, you know, drifting away from commitment to the religion. So, you know, it's almost like we need that liability and the excitement of the religion. I think it's one in six members of congregations do they cover. That's right. That's okay. recent, that's recent like, report from Q Forum, yeah. Oh, uh, so members of congregations are involved in Jewish life, but it wasn't... I don't remember exactly how it was phrased, but something like that. One in six converts. The statistic as I read it was basically one in six Jews is a convert. Okay, I thought there was something else that There may have been more refined language, but... I've got it on my tablet after And the the other language was one in four Jews... No, I don't, anyway, I actually don't remember no. that, so I'm gonna, oh yes, but I, yeah. the board just I said that. I think some that. of that leakage we've created ourselves of our own by so shifting standards that they don't, don't see what there is to vote. If anybody can do Judaism, why do I have to do it? I've heard that phrase more than once. Hmm. So I'm gonna go do what's meaningful for me. We haven't given it meaning that was unique, that empowered. Hmm. And, um, you know, so they are, I mean, I've had more than once somebody say, you know, if anybody can do it, especially those who came from reform backgrounds, no slam on the reform, it was just, that's who I was talking to. If anybody can do it, why do, why do they need me to do it? I think it's also an over... So wait, over I, I don't understand what you're saying now. If so, we, we've, in some cases, we've so opened it up, and especially so open the reform what movement, what opened, Judaism, so that... Are you saying conversion to Judaism? Not conversion, but participation of non-Jews, and so for, especially those who came from reform. And that's why I said the two people that made that statement to me weren't connected to each other, but they were both from reform backgrounds. If anybody can do this, then why do I need to? I think it was also a lot of overemphasis on Holocaust education, and they burn out. And, you know, I don't need to do this. We're fine. We're past the Holocaust. And we've so focused on the wrong things, rather than this is meaningful, this is, you know, make, make not just be proud to be a Jew, but be proud to live Jewishly in however you can, that we've caused a lot of the leakage from our own, where converts come in looking to live Jewishly, and I use that term rather than the religious 
Not everybody's going to keep kosher, not everybody's going to come to services, but there's something about living Jewishly, that particularism of Judaism. Okay. Gary, you have a... No, I was going to say, I mean, it's an interesting contrast between, you know, the condition in the diaspora versus the condition in Israel itself, where being Jewish is an existential issue, right? I mean, you know, you... You, it is your survival, at, you know, as a citizen in this country that's on the line, you know, as part of your Judaism. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, 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 it's at that level of commitment that, you know, you go into the army and you defend yeah. your country. Yeah. Alright, so um, I'm uh, uh, um, uh, out of time here, um, but... Um, I really, really appreciate this conversation because there's a lot of, uh, of, of uh, really thoughtful insight uh, that, that, that y'all shared about this. And there's a couple of texts that we didn't look at here. Um, but it just, it just struck me as I was reading these texts and as we was thinking about the connection between Ruth and, and Shavuot and, and the, the experience of Matan Torah, um, that the, uh, that the Jewish people, um, wasn't really the Jewish people, you know, wasn't fully the Jewish people. Um, until they're brought into the covenant of Torah, um, and, uh, and 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 their interaction um, at uh, Matan Torah was Naaseh and Ishma. We'll we'll do it, and then we'll learn it. Right? So um, for the Jewish people, um, to borrow a philosoph- philosophical phrase, um, their existence precedes their essence. Um, Right and uh, um, and and so um, I think that that uh, I, I want to propose that maybe that should be the approach for um, conversion too. It seems to me ultimately the the the, the approach that uh, the um, uh, that that Ruth takes and that the authors of uh, the the Talmud take um, that um, that Jewish existence entry into the Jewish people, um, uh, barring a few. Um, uh, um, Necessary but relatively um, minor steps um, that precedes knowledge of Judaism. It's always going to precede knowledge of Judaism. So the the process of of a lengthy study and um, and intense learning to be able to you know know a significant amount about Judaism before you take that step um, uh, strikes me as uh, not in line with the biblical and rabbinic precedent. Um, and in some ways arbitrary, um, and, uh, and, and, uh, and, and candidly not in keeping with the spirit of Naaseh uh, Benishma. Um, of course, that's uh, my thoughts, my take, um, not the only one out there, and I'm excited to continue the conversation with you guys about this, but I appreciate the uh, forum to support with you. So thank you.